If you were to see me or have seen me around the time of summer 1995 when I, a few years before my ordination, started leading services for the first time, you would have thought that I was really um, pondering what I was reading and saying because I looked a lot like this in the pulpit. Not like this. Not like this. You would think that I was pondering, really thinking about what I was saying. I wasn't. <laughs> I was at that point about a year removed from a pretty debilitating experience with anxiety and depression. And while I had started to emerge from that, I was so absolutely terrified being in the pulpit that I literally had to hold my head still. Only lasted about three or four times. And I didn't let anyone know. I just got a little bit of feedback from, uh, from my mentor at the time who said, You might want to touch your face a little bit less while you're in the pulpit. <laughs> it was right. Eventually I learned to deal with it. And it really was, I mean, it was like this over here. It really was a, it, it was a pulpit. It wasn't like this thing here. This is all about vulnerability. But this pulpit, oh, you could stand behind. And especially for new preachers, the pulpit is not there for you to read from. It's there so you don't fall down. <laughs> and so, you know, I was doing this and this and this and you know, welcome to the Unitarian Church of All Souls. That's where I was working at the time, sort of cutting my teeth in ministry. But honestly, what I wanted to be doing was like, welcome to the Unitarian Church of All Souls. I just wanted it to keep me right. I was so incredibly, incredibly nervous, incredibly afraid that I would screw up. I got to tell you, in the 18 years since I've received my call to ministry and it wasn't a voice but it was very very clear that this is what i felt i was called to do with my life in the time since that time i felt that there were moments when i wasn't sure if i could do this ministry and there were moments when i asked myself should i do this ministry and there were moments at my worst sometimes very justifiable moments when i had to come face to face with some of my own personal demons when i asked myself did i really deserve to do this ministry. But what I never doubted in those 18 years is that that calling was really a calling and continues to be. The Spirit Flicks movie for today, The King's Speech, is all about the challenges and the reality of living with a calling. And it is about much more. It applies to all of us in our own personal ways. About much more than the calling to ministry or the calling to a coronation, the calling to royalty. It is based on the life of Prince Albert who became King George VI. He is a reluctant prince and an even more reluctant king. I imagine a number of you have seen the movie. Show of hands, maybe? Okay, a lot of you, and probably a lot of you at least know what it's about. This prince, who becomes this absolutely reluctant king, has this awful, awful, personally painful stammer and stutter. Every opportunity where he has to speak publicly is a source of shame and embarrassment and fear for him. He is terrified of doing it. And so it appears in some ways that early in the movie, I mean, we know he's going to become king. It's an historical drama. We know it ends there. But when he doesn't think he's going to have to become king, he can just maybe kind of put this part of him aside. He's not going to have to speak in public too much. However, the advent of broadcast and of radio 
makes it so that kings in England and the royalty in England can no longer just sort of stand and wave and write. They have to be able to project their voice. And the stakes in this movie really become clear when his older brother abdicates the throne. Just at the time that England is starting to be at the brink of war with Hitler. And so the movie reaches its crescendo in the moment when the king, after really facing and trying to understand his stutter and trying and working so hard to be able to speak clearly with his true voice, has to address the entire UK has to address these people who just two decades before had been at war and thought that was the war to end all wars, but it wasn't. And he has to rally the nation in the words of Churchill, or at least the person who plays Churchill in the movie. I got to say this movie, I liked it a great deal. For me, it was a lot like Apollo 13. You know that movie about the moon landing that wasn't and the astronauts who also almost didn't get back from space? Well, we... No, they're not going to make a huge movie about astronauts who get lost like Major Tom in space for all time. At least Ron Howard's not going to make that movie. Same thing with this movie. We know that England goes to war and the Allies win and that the king is going to be able to speak. But the movie is so good that even though we know the historical ending, we get to see it from the character's perspective and get to feel their fear, get to feel their own uncertainty. That's the mark of a really, really good movie where even though we know what's going to happen, it still draws us in anyway. Now, the king is led into this, his gift of finding his own voice by a guy named Lionel Logue, who is kind of a lay doctor, and we find out towards the end of the movie that he's not really a doctor at all. In some ways, that fits because really what he is, he's a healer. He's like a modern shaman. And at first, what he does is he lets the king have a little bit of distance because the king says he's actually the prince at this time. I want to deal with just the mechanical difficulties. But we see with dealing just the mechanical difficulties are like one of the first scenes in the movie. We see another speech therapist who is not at all effective, literally stuffing marbles into his mouth to get him to somehow relax his throat. And we see him almost aspirating on these marbles and choking. And so little by little, Lionel Logue, earns the trust of the prince who would become king. There's no aha moment in this where he understands exactly why he stutters. And because of this, everything is cleared up. But little by little, we understand. We understand that the king was punished because he was left-handed and forced to write with his right hand. We understand that he was forced to wear very painful metal splints on his legs because he was bow-legged and that was not appropriate. We understood and we understand that his brother Johnny, who was dear to him, died at the age of 13, an epileptic who was shielded from view because of the shame in the family. And we come to understand that the prince's nanny, favoring the older brother who was intended to become king, for three years almost starves the young prince because he is not in her favor. And so what starts to emerge is this clearer, fuller view of this young man, of his pain, of his difficulty. And eventually we discover, and he discovers as well, how incredibly ashamed and afraid he is. That it is about much more than not being able to speak with a clear voice. He cannot find any voice at all. And so Lionel Logue very, very smoothly gets him start to recite Shakespeare. I think it's a work from The Tempest in which the character says, Art thou afeard? Be not 
feared. One of my favorite lines from the scriptures, be not afraid. And asks him directly, this modern shaman does, what are you so afraid of? And he pushes him. He says, you needn't be governed by fear. And one point he's really, really pushing and goading him. He says, you have no right to speak. What do you have to speak about? And finally, this prince about to become king erupts. Why should you be allowed to speak? Because I have a voice. I love this scene. I love this scene. It's a lot like, uh, reminds me of Whitman. Sound your barbaric yop. Sound your barbaric yop. I have a voice. Sound your barbaric yop. Sound your barbaric yop. Yop. That is the wimpiest yop I ever. Women did not write sound your half-hearted yop. Sound your barbaric yop. More? More? Enough yopping. Okay, thank you. You got it. Because I have a voice. I love what the king does with this at certain times to cut the tension. He just goes into this string of absolutely beautiful epithets of uh, cursing. And as someone who likes to preach blue every once in a while, I like a good curse word in the mouth. You know, I think it's nice. But he does this to sort of ease himself into it. Really what the king is saying, because I have a voice, it's not just the physical voice that he is uncovering, recovering, discovering, learning to use. Voice comes from the Latin word for vocation. He is discovering his calling, expressed through the voice, but about so much more than just the voice. It is clear in the movie that he could inspire so many and inspire me, the watchers of the movie, is that because when he came into his vocation and started to use his gift, it was not preordained that he would be able to do so. His calling was not automatic. He knew fear, he knew hesitancy, he knew shame, he knew all the things that could have locked him away. See, a calling does not eliminate fear. A calling nests our fear in something larger than just the fear itself. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said in one of his four freedoms that one of those is the freedom from fear that everyone has a right to. And in some ways, he is absolutely correct. Freedom from the fear of violence, freedom from the fear of tyranny. These are all kinds of political freedoms that we say, yes, absolutely, people should be free from these fears. But in a spiritual sense, that's not entirely correct. In terms of making up our characters and developing our lives, there is something better than being free from fear. It is being free to work with our fears. To be free to welcome our fears in and invite an open space that allows them to be nested in something bigger than our fears. Soren Kierkegaard, the great theologian, said that to the person who has been educated by their anxiety to the person who has truly listened to their fears and understood them and able to go beyond them, that person can then face anything in life's calling. Lionel, the doctor in the movie, starts to work with the king and tells him at one point, this impediment, this impediment you have is not a permanent part of you. 
See, when we are afraid of fear and won't let the fear in and then find what is bigger than the fear, what we are really saying by being afraid of fear itself is that we are believing that fear wants us to say fear is everything. If we can face the fear and as the great Buddhist nun Pema Chodron says, face the places that scare us, then we will know that our calling to be in life more deeply than we might have imagined does two things. It reveals the fears we have and reminds us as we live deeper into those fears and deeper into our love that there is always something deeper than fear itself. As someone who has had to learn to embrace his fears, and if that is your path as well too, We know that we do not do so because we love being afraid, but because we have trust that underneath the fear, there is buried treasure. And truly, we cannot just do away with the fear. We have to go through it. There comes a time in everything that we are devoted to, a great cause, another person, our own awakening, whatever it is, there comes a time with everything that we are devoted to when we want to cry out or perhaps do cry out, I am afraid, I don't know how, I feel incompetent. It is in that moment that our devotion becomes real. And it is in that moment that our devotion reveals itself as the calling the true calling, that true love always is. Now, I don't think any of us, or I hope none of us, will have to lead a nation into wartime anytime soon. Am I wrong about that? Um, And I don't think any of us are going towards uh, coronation uh, anytime soon either, although if you have royalty in your blood, you know, tell me after the service. It'll be interesting to talk about. But the thing is, whether king or queen or love or healer or healed, This calling into life itself, into wholeness, into deeper integration, into finding our true voice, it is big enough for everyone. It does call to mind one person. It calls to mind for me, particularly someone who is of royalty or was, Princess Diana. Now, I got to tell you, I am really indifferent to royalty. I watched about five minutes of this recent royal wedding and thought, okay, that's interesting. A lot of other people are doing it. I should pay a little bit of attention to it. And then it kind of passed out of my consciousness really, really quickly. But to think about Princess Diana, who, yes, was way (laughs) overhyped. All the stories about her, too many stories being told about her. We do know somehow, however, that things, some things were true. We knew that she battled depression and an eating disorder. We knew that she struggled with sometimes the most basic of human affirmations, even the desire to want to remain in this life. And yet through all these dysfunctions and disorders and fears, she still, as was not common at all for a person of her social standing in her society at the time, called attention to those babies who were living with AIDS called attention to adults who were living with leprosy, 
called attention to those hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people worldwide in battle zones that most of the world has forgotten who continue to live there and continue to have lives and limbs taken away because of the landmines that have been planted in the ground for decades. All these things in the midst of a life in which she was flawed and knew what fear was. She was not at all some stone idol of virtue. She was a living embodiment of the aspiration to care, even when we are afraid. As I said, I am not at all interested in royalty, but I am interested in inspiration, and I am interested in leadership, particularly the kind of emotionally intelligent leadership that can admit uncertainty, can admit vulnerability, can admit even fear and the presence of fear itself and goes forward anyway. That's what I think the popularity of Princess Diana was all about. That's what I think the popularity of the King's Speech is about. That's what I think the popularity of the movie The Queen that came out a few years ago. That was another historical rendering of this current queen at the time that Princess Diana had died. I think the popularity for these kinds of movies, even in a place like America, which was formed as a reaction to the very idea of monarchy and royalty itself, it has to do with the deep and profound yearning, a universal one, that we all have to be called. To be called into healing, to be called into responsible power, to be called into deeper awakening, to be called into life itself and into integration and into wholeness. All these things are to say we are simply called in this life to find our true voice and to use our true voice for the engagement of ourselves and so that other people can grow as well. This is why calling is not reserved for just the chosen select few. Calling is not a fairy tale. It belongs to everyone. I believe that a true calling requires fear. People who have a calling but no fear, they have no humility, and eventually their power becomes all about themselves. Leaders require fear as well. They require vulnerability as well. If there is a leader without any vulnerability, what we have there are the makings of fundamentalism that says, my power or our power is not accountable to you. But the best, the best teaching on leadership and fear, to me, comes from Yoda. <laughs> it is that moment in the Empire Strikes Back, by far the best of all the Star Wars movies. We can debate this forever, but you, I don't know how you disagree with me. But anyway, if you do, we'll talk. But to me, it's the best movie because it is about leadership and fear. Luke getting trained by Yoda, being mentored by Yoda on that planet, I can't even remember the name of it, all muck and mud and fog and Luke, the young man, saying, I'm not afraid. And Yoda's immortal words, you will be. <laughs> you will be. Yoda says those words because Yoda knows who Luke can turn into. If we want to see a leader that denies the presence of fear, that's who this is. Over there, too, someone pointed that out. One piece of artwork left up on those walls from the kids. 
a little bit of grace. That's a leader who will not admit fear. That is a leader who will not admit vulnerability. That is a leader who has turned their calling into, in the most literal sense, a killing. Our world has had enough of invulnerable leaders. Our world has had enough of its Darth Vader's. One of the great contrasts in the movie, as the king is preparing for his final speech, he's watching video, he's watching films of Adolf Hitler in Munich rallying up the masses in blind faith with his insane, violent ravings. And it is such a beautiful contrast between one who with his voice would destroy no doubts whatsoever and one who with his voice as tentative and as fearful at times as it would as it was would use that voice to comfort and to care and to lead to comfort and to care to lead I think again here this is where the movie is most instructive It is the scene, the run-through before the coronation. And the king is asked the question, are you willing? And the king says clearly, I am willing. I am open. I am willing is not the same thing as I know, or yes, I can and yes, I will. I am willing means I will do my best to do our best to use our true voice in the best way that we can each day for our own healing and the healing of others this I do believe in the most profound sense is the calling and the coronation of each of our lives even those of us who have not one royal drop of blood in us when we can be in those moments and live from that calling and face the fears that are ours to face and admit our vulnerability, well then, to borrow from a beautiful poet, in those moments, what our lives are made of makes us kings and queens, truly. Amen, and may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. O divine source of call, may we have ears to hear and senses to perceive. May we have trust enough as well to follow our calling into wholeness, into fullness of life, into that place that is truly deeper and beyond any fear at all. May we know that the calling is not out of this life the calling is always back into our life may we use our voices may we use our hands may we use our hearts each day in conscious ways and mindfully so that we are giving back to life what is life's most properly and that through this offering our lives will be blessed amen